Loud Outs podcast number three has you set up for the WBC tournament. We'll get into bracket plays, some predictions on the rosters, and get you set up with CJ and the big 5-0 for the big birthday board next. Welcome, everybody, to the Loud Outs podcast number three. They always tell you in, in life to... Uh, under promise and over deliver. And mm. I feel like we are living that motto so far, CJ. Uh, this episode is going to be kind of cool. We're going to dig into the WBC, the tournament, the brackets, maybe get a bold prediction. We'll find out. It's also close to your birthday. So happy birthday to you. <laughs> oh, thank uh, you. I, I, have a, I have a little baseball history for your birthday. I'm not sure if you know uh, uh-huh. who else was born on your birthday. Come on. Of course do you have any I ideas? Know. What do you mean? We were drafted in the same draft by the same team. We played in the minor leagues. Yeah, of course I know. What about any Hall of Famers born on today? Do you know who they are? Oh, by the way, I was referencing Aaron Boone. Um, I know there is one, and I'm going to kick myself when you say it because I used to know Archie Vaughn. Yep. Uh, Archie Vaughn's, do you know what Archie Vaughn's middle name was or his nickname? William? It was Hippo. (laughs) It's Archie it Hippo Vaughn. I mean, like they just don't make baseball nicknames like they used to. Yeah. We don't have any hippos in Major League Baseball. I don't know if that be if if it would be found offensive. Uh, you also mm. have Billy Southworth, <laughs> Hall of Famer, back in 1893. And to make you feel exceptionally old on your birthday, you. Anderson Espinoza made his Major League debut in mm. 2022. Was born on March 9th. <laughs> 1998 1998 oh, okay. okay that's fine that's fine um i am old i don't need any younger players to make me feel that way i got enough gray hairs i have hard enough time getting out of bed and waking up with why is that sore what did i do yesterday wait nothing regarding that part of my body why is that hurting today why i'm trying to get out of bed so <laughs> get used to it buddy uh, it's coming your way I mean, you know what? For birthdays, what's kind of cool about being a major leaguer is a great database that they have in baseball reference and just kind of looking that there's been 59 major leaguers in the history of the game that was born on your special day and Mm. some good names too. I mean, Craig Stammen, who's still pitching for the Padres, Daniel Hudson, uh, he's out there. Then he can go back in the day. We mentioned Hippo Vaughn, Benito Santiago, which is a, a great name. I loved Benito when he was first came up with the Padres and then he was with the Giants and then he was basically with everybody. Vern Campanaris, a uh, very, very famous uh, baseball player for a long time mm. uh, as well. So you come from a very solid day. Um, yeah. A lot of negative wars in there too. But not the lowest. <laughs> I, was looking, I was looking at that too. Perfect timing. We have a negative 4.2 war player born on March 9th. Uh, Merrill Hogue, I guess, is how you pronounce it. He had a lengthy career. Um, And so I feel very, very excited about the fact that there's like six or seven guys in front of me. I mean, Merrill played in over a thousand games and posted that negative 4.2 war. Yeah, Uh, there I don't think there's very many big leaguers that are even coming close to pointing a negative 4.2 war. They'd usher you out the door uh, in a heartbeat. Let's get into some of the WBC WBC tournament in the United States begins uh, on the weekend. It begins with a pool play. Hmm. It's an interesting kind of tournament because if you, if you wanted to understand why this tournament even started back in 2005, the Olympics were done with baseball. And as a response to the Olympics being done, 
Major League Baseball, the Players Association, they proposed a, a, a type of FIFA soccer tournament with the International Federation of Baseball. And it began in 2006. And what's kind of cool about this, CJ, is you had a 16-team tournament. There was no qualifying necessary uh, based on the teams. People jumped into it immediately. Uh, I would say 2006 and, uh, and 2008, you know, those were really successful WBC tournaments or 2012. Um, and it's, it's kind of continued on with really positive momentum in that now you have more teams that are, that are trying to qualify. Uh, in fact, Nicaragua is a team that's qualified for the first time this year and uh, the Czech Republic. So kind of neat when you think of, of how baseball has expanded since the start of this tournament and to get to the place where we're at today. 100%, man. And the Olympic Committee kind of blew it at the time. I remember being frustrated by the idea that baseball would go away in the Olympics. And ultimately, what resulted was a much better format and a better tournament. And it's really exciting. And it's getting played in big league stadiums around the world. And for me, this has ended up being a huge kind of blessing in disguise. And while it is cool to have the Olympics and Olympic gold and Olympic medals or something to be proud of, the WBC, when it comes to baseball, is a much better tournament. And the timing of it, while it's really difficult to come up with a perfect time to do it, I think we're in the best situation that we can be in. I don't like the idea of stopping the season for a couple of weeks. End of the season, everyone's kind of looking forward to shutting it down. And so this is the best time that we can do it while players are in pretty good shape and getting ready for the regular season. So I love it. Uh, I love the timing of it. And I love seeing, uh, you and I have talked about this a lot on the regular radio show, is the emerging small countries that are getting more and more interested in baseball, right? That's the other part of this is that you talk about teams that make it for the first time, right? We got four pools, five teams each, right? 20 teams in this thing right now. And so as more and more countries qualify and get into it, you see these kind of emerging markets and the excitement surrounding baseball. And, and I love it, man. It's just, it's been fantastic. And, you know, another great part of it is watching the fans and how they absorb it. But I think inspiring the next generation of fans uh, to watch this thing, uh, to see those from their country having success uh, in the WBC and then eventually in professional baseball. And how about the old timers? That's the other part, right? So we get the young emerging, and then we get the guys that haven't played professional baseball in like a decade or longer, yeah. but are still in decent enough shape uh, to play. And in the WBC, because maybe they're a little thin, their country is a little thin on talent. That part of it is really cool to see as well. I mean, going back 2006, the the first champion was Japan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Runner up was Cuba, South Korea, Dominican. United States didn't even finish in the top four. 2009, this this happens every three years. Japan won it again, back to back uh, WBC champions. And I saw this note and I and I had to verify it. And you and I, we having played in Japan, we'll get into Shohei Otani a little bit later on. The the 2006 and 2009 still rank as one of the highest rated sporting event ever watched in Japan, in mm-hmm. the country. Think about that. A WBC tournament, 2006, 2009, when they were in the finals, ranks still today as one of the top viewed events in in japanese history yeah i believe it that's that's amazing yeah i believe it for a couple of different reasons but i think the most we know about the pride and even how the ratings are for japanese players when they come here and they're playing in the big leagues and they're seeing those games at you know two o'clock in the morning in different times and they're still heavily watched because of the interest but not only is it obviously all the japanese in japan but think about japanese americans too that are watching it and how much that audience has grown and the sense of pride that goes countrywide. I mean, even for a fan uh, for a fan base that 
uh, certainly loves the game. It's still a localized sport, no matter what country uh, that you go to. Uh, but you get an entire country rallying around uh, Team Japan and wanting them to do well and seeing them win. And in their mind, proving that they were the best in the world at that moment, right? You, you and I experienced this. When you go over there, one of my personal experiences that you know I picked up on after a little bit of time was that I felt like there was just this part of a couple of my coaches wanting them to know that they were smarter than me. Even though I had played in the big leagues and reached what we would call the highest level, I think they kind of wanted to break you down a little bit, uh, prove their knowledge to you of the game, and almost maybe feeling like that knowledge was superior, right? It's okay. I don't have a problem with that. I, I appreciate having... Uh, the pride in what you do and, and feeling like you're really good at what you do. I mean, it would be a little bit annoying at times, but I get it. And I think now bigger picture here, look at it countrywide for team Japan. That's how they felt. I mean, that's absolutely how they felt. I think winning that and to see the rivalry between them and team Korea going back to Olympus, I got to see that kind of firsthand and understand that uh, there's some real disdain for each other when they get after it and trying to prove which is kind of the better country. Japan has a longer history. It's a bigger country. Uh, Korea, though, is an emerging market. We've seen it now over the last decade plus or so with Korean players that have reached the big leagues. Them going against each other is really special as far as if you like baseball rivalries. But it came down to me approving in their opinion that they were the best in the world at the time. And there's a lot of pride that comes along with that. Yeah, no question. I mean, there there is a sense of pride. What's also cool, cool is this, this tournament, especially uh, the Arizona tournament, is going to be available to people to listen to on MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. Mike Farron, uh, one of our colleagues on, on MLB Network, he's going to do play-by-play. I get the honor of, of being his color guy. So in Arizona, for in five days, we're going to call 10 games. 10 games in, in pool Dude. C, which is going to be a, a Herculean task for mm. Mike Farron. I might, I might cash it in at some point. With no uh, pitch clock, right? Because I've seen it and I've noticed it listening to some of these games where the crew that they have out in Asia and they're doing a great job, um, but running out of gas a little bit, like trying to do, you know, we've done double headers once in a while over the course of a year, uh, but this is different. And it's also a little bit more of a challenge. I think if you're calling the games in, you know, not in the States, uh, names can be tough, man. There's a lot. It's one thing when you're a fan of the big leagues and you have a good idea, dig in a little bit and try to learn a little bit more. But if you're starting from scratch and there's a lot, I mean, you know, you know a couple of players, obviously, but not not as many as you will when you're watching the games, say, in Arizona. There's a lot of work involved in all of this uh, and to get it right and to make it a b- good broadcast. So while I'm happy for you, I don't know how envious I am of the work that's about to be done. I Well, I will break. I will start breaking down Pool C in a second. It was funny. I, I received a name pronunciation guide for mm. uh, for this tournament, and the Czech Republic was very very <laughs> difficult for me. <laughs> Chinese yes. Taipei. I I mean, like that. Very difficult. That's it's okay, and I'm not trying to be offensive at all. I'm no, just, I'm not accustomed to being. Around a, a lot of people with names like that, so oh, I, can I can't wait for the blooper reel, of- blooper reel of Spilly calling some of this WBC. I, I love because I, here's the thing: I'm, I, I understand where you're at, and there's certainly no intent. But come on, of course, especially when things are going right, when there's a little bit of action, you start going fast. You got to replay. You're excited, and then you because I don't know about you, but when I'm on the fence with a name, even when it's a big league game, I really start to doubt myself. And then I just get locked up and then I blow it and I'll say something stupid instead of just trusting my gut or trusting the homework that I had done in the preparation. And you're trying to, you know, you're breaking down whether a big swing, a play in the outfield, and there's a couple of things going fast and it's the left fielder and the right fielder uh, coming together. And, and you're like a little, you're 90% on the names. That's when it's going to be fun. 
yeah, it's a disaster. So I'm, I'm looking <laughs> forward to d- destroying people's names, but luckily, or hopefully nobody's uh, parents are listening to uh, the broadcast. What, so you already had pool A began, and, and that's happening in Taiwan, began on March 8th. You have pool B, which is the which is occurring in Tokyo, Japan. And and let's start with Team Japan again. It's it's known, they're known as Samurai Japan. Uh, mm-hmm. that's what they call the team name. And what's really endearing for us, and we had the chance to to talk with Lars Nupar. Lars Nupar, his mother was born in, in Tokyo. And Lars becomes the first American born with Japanese heritage to be part of, of Samurai Japan. He's the very first one. Mm-hmm. And so far, you know, watching, watching this tournament, of course, the tournament's about Shohei Otani, the, the best player on the planet. Uh, he's hit multiple homers in exhibition games. He's, he's pitched. Uh, I know we, we, I spoke with uh, Phil Nevin. He woke up 3 a.m. to watch Otani. And it was a game where where Otani had pitched four innings and, and went two for four. And it was almost like he wanted to see him play, but he's also like the nervous parent making uh-huh. sure he got home safe. Of course. For Lars Nupar and, and Team Japan, Samurai Japan, the the level of fandom towards him, I would assume when he comes back, is he's going to mention to us something that he's never experienced. And I believe it. I believe it's for, for Lars specifically in that country where they're playing on a team with the rocks are like Shohei. I, I believe Lars is going to see baseball completely different by this wonderful perspective perspective that he's gaining right now. Oh yeah. I mean, already the fans have taken to him. There were some pretty cool signs in the exhibition games that they have played. He made a very nice catch in the outfield and people got pretty excited about all of that. So yeah, I'm with you hundred percent. I think he's going to be really well received. We've already seen it. He's going to come away with some pretty uh, incredible memories uh, in that process. So yeah, he's uh, it's, it's cool. It's special. I was actually telling my wife um, today, we kind of blew it. I said, you know, if our youngest ends up turning out to be a pretty decent player, he could have been born in Japan. And we decided to you know make sure that she was back here and, and had the baby here. I'm like, you know what? If he was born in Japan, he would have been eligible to play for team Japan in the WBC. If he was good enough. <laughs> <laughs> it would be quite amazing. Okay, so just to get you caught up, pool A, pool B, uh, the 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 two top teams by winning percentage. So how these pool plays work? There's four pools, A, B, C, and D. Pool C will be in Arizona. Pool D will be in Miami, Florida. It pool A that by winning percentage. So you do you play four games total. There's five mm. teams, and and after four games, the team the top two teams with winning percentages move on to the quarterfinals for Chinese for the the Taiwan pool and for pool B. What's still pretty neat about this one is Korea and Japan, Australia, China, and Czech Republic are all in pool B. You could still potentially have Japan and Korea not matching up again out of pool play until the championship based on how the pool and how this tournament is set up. So it, yeah. it creates really nice rivalries initially. So you get that out of the way and then it sets up so that they don't knock each other out in a quarterfinals. It's, it's, it's almost presented to the way where you can get that dream matchup mm-hmm. in either a semifinal or in the championship. Yeah. It looks like the semifinals, right? The way, if I'm reading it on the WBC website, they're not going to let them potentially be in that position. Like you said, to knock each other off in the second round, the quarterfinals, but the semis, I believe they would be coming uh, from the same side because they put it's one verse three, two verse four. And it's not a ranking that's just based on the game number. 
But there's a lot that goes on here because as you mentioned, winning percentage, there's a good chance that teams are going to be tied. It goes to head-to-head after that. And then it goes to runs allowed based on the number of outs you got in a the game. They, they work this kind of quotient together. So there's a couple of different formulas. And I think, you know, you and I talked about this on our radio show, gosh, probably uh, two or three weeks ago and getting excited about the WBC. And we tried to uh, predict who was coming out of each pool. If I remember correctly, you, you tell me if I'm wrong on this one. I think we both kind of assumed that Cuba was coming out of pool A. And we joked around about, well, who's going to be the other team besides Cuba? It's a good chance Cuba's not going to advance. And they lost their first two games already as of the taping of our podcast here. Uh, they're in some trouble right now, and they're going to need a little bit of help uh, to be able to get it done. So I love it already, right? The upsets and the things that we're starting to see. But yeah, I mean, it feels like Japan and Korea come out of Pool B, but they also um, could be in a little bit of trouble as well, losing Team Korea their first game to Australia. So who knows, man? It's already up in the air. There's already a little bit of WBC chaos, even though we haven't even seen uh, C and D start yet, as you mentioned, they don't start to the 11th. So let's break down pool C. This was this is going to be really fun, and and there's probably going to be one of the top matchups is going to occur uh, between Team USA and Team Mexico. So pool C begins in Arizona, USA, Mexico, Colombia, Canada, and Great Britain. Hmm. What what what's remarkable about about this pool is you still have. Uh, like for example, Team USA's roster. I went through it, and this is just to kind of give you an idea of of how loaded the lineup is. Fourteen players, uh, position players, uh, and, and this isn't like a knock on Kyle Higashioka, mm. but I I removed him just because he was he didn't have the same qualifiers that the rest of the lineup had. Yeah, and he's um, like your third catcher. He's their third catcher, so I wasn't yeah. expecting him to play. Yeah. So I removed him from my from my from my calculus. The average season for this team, for the 14 players, the average year is a 277 batting average, 26 home runs, 90 RBIs, and essentially a five-win player. Five wins above replacement in baseball reference. There's not a lot of, like, finding one on a team is hard. Mm -hmm. The entire field that Team USA will field, even backups included, averages five wins. It's like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how to context that for like top to bottom one through nine is a five win player. Yeah, there it's deep. It runs deep. I will say this. I think that early on when they're not facing some of the tougher competition, we'll see what happens when they get against some tougher pitching. I think they're going to slug a ton. They're going to blow some teams out. I, I believe we'll see that their challenge becomes that next step. Right. And I mean, listen, they're all good players. So obviously they're representing the United States in the WBC. They're a little bit light. It feels like on the starting pitching side, like that lineup is unbelievable and it's going to be fun to watch Mookie Betts play some second base and every option that you have in multiple positions is really cool um, to look at. But when you start looking at the starting pitching, some good pitchers in there, but we're, you know, this is, this is team USA, right? American exceptionalism. We want the absolute best. We want to crush everybody. You're not getting Max Scherzer. You're not getting Jacob deGrom, but there's still some really good starters. Adam Wainwright is going to be the game one starter. Mary Kel- Merrill Kelly is there. Lance Lynn. Uh, Nick Martinez has already been stretched out to like four innings in, in Padres camp. And so they're going to have some good arms, but that's the one area where I'm most curious to see how things play out. And that's why I believe Dave Rigetti ends up being maybe the most important piece to that coaching staff. Right, Mark DeRosa is doing this for the first time. Andy Pettit was a great pitcher and, and knows the game, but he hasn't managed a pitching staff before. Dave Rigetti did it for a really long time because that bullpen, and they got some great arms in the bullpen, I think is the difference maker in that. And knowing that that bullpen 
needs to be managed properly to get the most out of them when things really matter and they're playing some tough games and say you get into a game against the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, some good lineups, that's where it's going to matter. I know it's jumping ahead a little bit to the next round, but I think that's the thing I'm focused on the most when it comes to uh, Team USA. And that's where I think Dave Rigetti, who's the bullpen coach here, longtime pitcher, longtime pitching coach, uh, is the guy that could be the difference maker in the information that he's feeding Mark DeRosa. Yeah, no question. I mean, and and DeRosa's staff is pretty amazing. You have uh, you have Ken Griffey Jr., Dave Rigetti, Michael Young. I mean, like there's some. How about names Michael there. Young, real quick? Did you see what he was listed as? If you look, look at the put, roster, it says Michael Young, batting practice pitcher, which is amazing for the Ranger Hall of Famer. I, I would say <laughs> the batting practice pitcher on Team USA was Andy Pettit. He was amazing. Yeah. He was hitting every barrel. Uh, last little thing on Team USA, we'll kind of get you around the rest of that that pool. What has made this team so remarkable and the 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 general buzz out of out of Team USA's camp was that Mike Trout was the first one to be part of the team. Yeah. And for Mike Trout, it, it is pretty amazing that that these games are going to be the biggest stage of baseball he's played in, other than 2014 when they were in 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 one round of a postseason. And and for Trout on on <laughs> in this series throughout, I mean, here's the chance to be on the biggest stage that he's been on so far that represents his country. Him joining Team USA basically brought the whole lot of them. Everybody else was like, I'm in if Trout's in. Uh, it's pretty, from my perspective, seeing Trout in that position of, of like, you know what, I missed out in 17. He de- he declined to do it, much like Garrett Cole, right? Yeah. Like he was worried about the season. Trout saying, no, I'm not missing out on this. And so finally, there's there's finally the chance for, you know, national audience to really see what Mike Trout is all about. Yeah. I mean, one of the best players in the game, I think again, Japan will probably argue about Shohei Otani and who's the best. It's kind of cool that they're both on the same team, but the fact that Mike Trout, uh, as you mentioned, some of that regret that propels his decision to do this in, in 23, had to wait six years before it was available again. And then what it meant for this team. Like if we look back and we see a winner, like I just kind of went through, I think what's going to be really important with the bullpen, but make no mistake about it. I mean, they're going to hit, they're going to put up a bunch of runs. And a lot of that has happened because Mike Trout has put the call out. And the call has been answered. And so it was a really smart move uh, to get him there to do it, to, to name him the captain. Always fun. We like to play a little Captain America uh, with the captain of the WBC and, and all those who would want to follow. You know, it's killing Bryce Harper not to play in this thing, right? I'm sure uh, with the Tommy John surgery recovering from his elbow and others that that couldn't do it or didn't think it was such a, a good idea like Max Scherzer and Justin Berlin or I mentioned Jacob DeGrom and you know a couple of those guys with new teams. And so, you know, not always the best of the best because of that. And understandably so, it's perfectly reasonable and you can respect those decisions. But yeah, having him uh, on board here, having everybody get that opportunity to see him, knowing the ratings will be really good. Hopefully uh, we see a Japan-USA matchup at some point along the way. That would also have to be, I guess the way it's lined up would have to be the finals to make it happen. And so Team USA has got some work to do um, to get there because of what's on the right side of that bracket. But yeah, good to have him. And it's great to see him make that decision and what it's meant for this team, at least as far as putting the roster together. Yeah, we're going to play left I, field. I, I hey, have... real quick. Sorry. About, in, in that same regard, when you start looking at how the defense potentially could line up in the outfield, that was one thing I wondered about a little bit. Um, you got Mookie Betts, Cedric Mullins, Kyle Schwarber, Mike Trout, Kyle Tucker. If it's, I mean, you know he's going to do what's best for the team. But a look at Mike Trout in left field with Cedric Mullins playing center, at some point during this tournament, a possibility. I mean, Mullins hits left-handed, so I don't have to be a matchup thing. 
Uh, I wonder about that part for him, because as soon as you get a look at him in the corner, because, you know, you wonder if that's going to be his future with the length of this contract. We get Are we going to see him in left field at all? You know, Kyle Tucker uh, in right when he's out there, Mookie Betts in right, Kyle Schwarber probably more of a DH. Do we see Mike Trout in left field at all during the WBC? I, I don't think so. He's and even in the exhibition games, he's playing center field. I will point this part out. And Mookie Betts playing second base, which seems like a, like a bit of a, I, I don't know, a gimmick is not a gimmick. He's logged in 2,200 innings in the minor leagues. He has been adamant and vocal with the Dodgers about wanting to play second base. You're going to see Mookie Betts at second base, and you're going to think to yourself when it's all said and done, why don't the Dodgers play him at second base? And I actually believe the same thing. Is there a better I've team been, with him in right? I think. Don't you? Are they? I mean, I'm with you. I, I saw a little bit of it as well, and we'll see more of it during the WBC, and that's where his heart is. But is, uh, is, are they not a better team with him in, in right field? No, because I want Kyle Tucker in right field. Yeah, but he I plays for tra- Astros. Oh, you're talking about the Dodgers? <laughs> yeah, no. I, I'm, I'm saying, well, I mean, the, the Dodgers have some decisions to make. I, I think yeah. they could, you could probably play. They're really high on this Miguel Vargas kid. They think he has yeah. a chance to really be something special. So, but he looks, Mookie looks really good. Uh, at second base. Okay. So why don't we do some predictions? I think team USA makes it through uh, pool C. I also believe Mexico pool D in Miami is where I think the, the eventual champion is coming out of. Mm. And here's one reason why uh, pool D has Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Dominican, Israel, and Nicaragua. Any one of the three teams in Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Dominican have rosters good enough with pitching good enough based on how they play winter ball to win the whole thing. The other aspect that you have to consider is it is basically a home field advantage for any of those Latin American teams in Miami because mm. the rest of the tournament stays in Miami. So the the quarterfinals uh, for on the U.S. are in Miami. They're in Japan for um, for for the pool A, pool B. The semifinals in the championship remain in Miami. So not a lot of travel, no jet lag for any of those teams that remain in Miami. So for, for, as I look at this, trying to be unbiased and not trying to just pick USA, just cause I do believe this year, the champion based on geography and Mm. quality of team comes out of pool D the overall champion, no matter what, if they're going up against the best version of say uh, Japan, you feel like Shohei Otani starting in the finals against the Dominican Republic, and it's still going to be the DR that wins it. I'm taking, I'm taking any team that's from pool D in the yeah. championship. So is that like a, is that really a prediction when you're taking a whole pool of five teams? Well, no, I'm taking <laughs> one of the three. Okay. I'm going to take the Dominican Republic to Dang win this, it. All right. That, and I was, that's right. I was there with you as well. Uh, it was interesting. We had, I did the morning show this week and we had Rene Rivera on um, played with team Puerto Rico and was just talking about kind of some of their struggles a little bit um, and some frustration, um, you know, not being able to you know, kind of take it to that next level and not being able to get everybody they want on the team either, um, you know, which is legit. I got to tell you, man, early on, it's been fun watching the Netherlands, right? I mean, I don't think they can pull this thing off. Uh, Jerkson Profar said he wants Puerto Rico really badly because you know, they've knocked them out twice. Can they get all the way there? Can they get past Japan? They're kind of like my, I don't know if they're, if they're considered an underdog pick. They were against Cuba and ended up beating them. Um, 
So I, I do like the Netherlands to go on a fun run, if you will, and to make things interesting. I think you're making the right choice, though, with the Dominican Republic. Um, but just to try to do something different, man, um, who would have been my B team? I, I, you know, I think Team Japan's an easy pick um, to be there. So I'll, I'll go with I'll go with Japan. Uh, okay. To, uh, only because I can't pick the Dominican Republic. Okay, so there you go. So CJ has Japan. I have the Dominican Republic. And Who's if your you sleeper? Want to my sleeper team is Mexico. Okay. Uh, Mexico is my sleeper team. Uh, pretty fun pitching staff too. Julio Urias and uh, uh, Patrick Sandoval. You also have yeah. Austin Barnes behind the plate, and you have some guys that that have uh, Mexican ties, but they have never spoken Spanish. It's been kind of a running joke with oh. them, and That's they're amazing. actually really looking forward to being able to connect. Uh, the dots of their heritage. That's yeah. the beauty of this entire tournament is connecting with your heritage. I'll, ta- I'll take the Netherlands then. Because they're unique too, right? I mean, the fact that you have Aruba, Curacao, and then you have the actual Netherlands, right? Which of course is uh, in Europe. And think about the geography and how much space apart from that whole group that is considered the kingdom of the Netherlands. And you have guys from the Netherlands on that team. Yeah. And then you have Jerks and Profar in the group uh, and the guys from uh, Curacao and kind of the kingdom of those islands. Yeah, you have Bogarts. like Xander Bogart, Xander yeah. Bogarts. That's a that's good a team. cool. That's a cool mix where it's not like it's not a stretch. It's not like oh, this guy, you know, this guy's mother was born there, or whatever. Like these guys are from there, even though they're very two distinct areas. It's the same country. I love it. Uh, so you can listen to this this you know the tournament, especially if it's in Arizona, the Phoenix Arizona tournament on MLB Network Radio. Mike Farron and some goober named Spielborgs will be on the call for you, <laughs> CJ. It is it is fun to do these podcasts. Number three in the books. Yeah. I can't. You know, I don't know what team I want to hear you announce more. I know you said the Czech Republic is going to be a challenge. I think the guys from I'm the just doing pool C. I'm just doing pool C, so I don't but have to worry about fun. it. Like if you have to talk about highlights and guys from the Netherlands, I would love to. Um, because there's a challenge on some names there, man. Czech Burgers Republic should... versus China would be like the bane of my existence. That would, yeah, I that would, would be your toughest one. I'm gonna put that, one name in the chat. I want to see if you can if you can pronounce it. All right, okay. here it comes. Uh, <laughs> Dennis Bergstick. <laughs> I mean, it's the first part of his name is Burgers, and then it's D I J K. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think I want to say that. I mean, it's a podcast. You can say whatever you want, but the way that it reads, not that favorable. The way I pronounced it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So okay. Well, thanks. And uh, I'll take my fine from the FCC. Very, very fun. Uh, Be sure to tune in on Mondays when we do drop a new podcast. Sirius XM Podcasts.